from the top. 270. That's the average number of times a company comes under cyber attack each year. And the average cost of a successful data breach is $4.35 million. Cygnus ensures your internal and external teams are securely connected, confident, in control, and compliant during a cyber crisis. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Cygnus to learn more. That's C-Y-G-N-V-S. Welcome back to Business Security Weekly. I am your host, Matt Alderman, joined by Jason Albuquerque and Ben Carr. Follow us on LinkedIn for updates across our organization, show highlights, and more. You can find us by searching for Security Weekly Productions. Gentlemen, uh, articles for this week. So, Jason, you brought this first article in. Uh, I think um, I think it was after our show last week. You had dropped into our, our Slack channel that yeah. Steve Katz, the world's first CISO, had passed away. Uh, I think on Saturday, the weekend before. So I want to make sure we covered this because it's been a rough year for some cyber professionals. Uh, we've lost a couple this year. Um, right. right. It's, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, Steve was the Steve was the OG who who led the charge on all of it, right? I mean, he's a you know a, a technologist and a, and a cybersecurity professional that dates back to the 1970s, and you know in the 80s he was at J.P. Morgan and and really started refining what uh, information security meant. And then from there, you know, you moved on to uh, Citicorp, Citigroup. And, um, you know, at, at that point, it was, uh, yeah, I think it was during a breach that he had, they actually were recruiting him. He, you know, one of the things that, and this was in the 90s, I believe. And one of the things that really stood out for me is that they were, you know, they were recruiting him to come on board uh, after a cyber attack. And he spent months, I remember this from an interview, he spent months interviewing the entire executive team at Citicorp um, before he even decided to, to, to take the role. And, and, you know, he went into it basically saying, I really only took the interview to figure out what was going on there. He really, he wanted the insight and the intel that was going on. And, and finally they got him to come on board. So, you know, I mean, he's, uh, he, he's been through it all, you know, from, from inception. So, you know, we, we, we lost the OG CISO, unfortunately. Yes. Um, Todd Fitzgerald interviewed him on CISO Stories. I think it's episode six. I dropped the link into the chat. But he was also a mentor to a lot of other people we've interviewed on this show. Jim Ralph, Sam Curry, others. I mean, he was he wanted to help other CISOs. He was such he was just one of those people that always wanted to share experience and help them through the process. This article brings out some of that, but he was just such a mentor to so many people. Big loss for the community. Thoughts and prayers to his family. Yeah, that's a, yes. yeah. He knew a lot of people. But, you know, if if you didn't know him, if you hadn't met him, he was a really good guy. So, yes. Uh, okay. Article number two. Uh, this is a, this is a really good write up. It's in the Harvard Law Review. It goes back to the segment we just had on the SEC requirements, um, and it talks a little bit about. What's happening with the solar winds indictment and some of the things to really think about from a lessons learned perspective. It goes back to the conversation we had, materiality, disclosure, and evidence. Uh, but this is a really good write-up if you want to see it written up from a legal perspective. I thought this was a really good reference article. Yeah, and it actually goes into, you know, the the SEC, because we talked about it last week where we didn't really have enough information as to as to the why, right? And 
and it gets into the SEC's allegations on the actions and omissions um, that they're claiming, right? Obviously, we, we, we've got to get deeper into, into this and let it, let it pan out. But, I mean, they're talking about, you know, things like ignoring serious, seriously known cybersecurity deficiencies, making materially false and misleading risk disclosures. I mean, this is some serious allegations that they're putting out there. Yeah, and, yes. you know, I think that's that's the big takeaway for me is like, you know, I've heard a lot of comments about, you know, should the SEC be overseeing cyber? And I think, you know, the, if I look at it at a very high level, the, the biggest thing is don't misstate what you're doing from a cyber perspective, mm -hmm. whether that's, you know, internal security controls that you're not following. Um, you know, if you're not following your controls, maybe you need to change your controls. Misstating that through right. investors or your public website and saying, hey, we're, we're taking, you know, telling your customers that you're taking these certain precautions when you're actually not doing it, or going and speaking in public and saying, you know, alluding to things that you're not doing. Be accurate right. and be, you know, be 100% committed to what you state is the truth. You know, don't be transparent but don't misstate that's a that's a hugely important thing and i think that's where a lot of this is going to come out in in what they're alleging whether it happened or not that way i'm not weighing in on i'm just saying make right. sure you're you're doing that yeah right. i mean when you when you're when you read some of these these allegations and you get deeper into you know the 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 sec side of the aisle those they're pretty substantial allegations i mean to to just one of them that i pulled out is it says the sec emphasizes that Brown repeatedly signed sub-certifications representing that all material incidents had been disclosed to company executives responsible for its security filings while being aware of numerous documented cybersecurity failures. That, I mean, that, that's huge because those sub-certifications are what the CISO would be providing to the executive team for updates, correct? If I, if I have that correct, I think that's the sub-certifications so that way like the CEO can actually go speak on this to the SEC. Yeah, or to the, the, next, the next sentence, Jason, is actually really important. Some certifications are not required, but are used by many companies, right? Like, yep, yep, yep. be careful if something's not required to be done and you're attesting to something that you're not even doing and something that's not right. required, that's problematic. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah, I remember my early days in in cyber when I was in the, on the consulting side, right? And I used to walk in and look at their policy, right? And you'd see this like just huge policy document. And I'm like, are you actually doing all this? Do you have evidence? Can you document this? Like to your point, right? Don't put it in a document if you're not doing it. Like you're just opening yourself up to all kinds of grief. Yeah. yeah. And again, it's going to be the, the, the requirement of bringing artifacts to the table to prove that you're actually doing it. And if you can't bring your A game, you're going to get called out like this. Yeah. Yeah. I think in the lessons learned, like we know the SEC is prioritizing cybersecurity risks. Like that's obvious. But I think that right. second point, accurate disclosure is key to your point, Ben. If you're going to disclose and you need to, you better be accurate in those disclosures. Because that is definitely something that that's gotten the kind of the solar winds uh, folks a little bit in trouble. Um, and then as an executive, just make sure you know your responsibilities um, and mind your internal controls. Yeah. Yes. And make sure you have the right controls in place. And right. Document right. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's one of those scenarios, you know, that mind your internal controls, I think, is extremely important because over time, so many organizations say, yeah, we do this. Yeah, we have these controls in place. Yeah, sure, we absolutely have that. But are they executing it on the, like, executing on them on the daily? 
can they prove that they're at, they actually have these controls and they're successful? That's, that's the point we're at now where we have to show artifacts that we're actually leveraging these controls. Yeah, it, it was, it, and it's interesting because look, it, for certain technical controls, it's actually hard to get your arms around. You guys know this, right? You can't go out and self-assess against all your technology stack for all your technical controls. You're gonna need some level probably of automation eventually in the mix here because an organization has got tens of thousands of assets. How are you gonna know yep. that do I have the right inventory? Am I assessing them? Can I do that at scale? Like saying it's one thing, doing it is actually pretty difficult. Mm -hmm. Oh, 100%. Another... Yeah. And, and, and again, this is going to open up a whole new world of, of services and products. And, you know, we're, we're, we're going to see uh, organizations taking this by storm to help manage all this. And again, that's a reason, like you have to know your internal policy, right? Like how many corporations or, or entities haven't reviewed their security policy in several years? And then you go back and look at it and you come in as the new CISO in the org and you say, we're not doing any of this, right? Like it says here our password should be 82 characters. This, my, my main login, six, like it doesn't align. Like you have to make sure that what you're actually saying in your policy documents are what you're actually adhering to and following. And if you come across an instance where you're not doing that, document it and report it. Like you can have a variance as long as you've gone through the corporate governance and risk to essentially make everyone aware that there is a violation there and there's either a valid reason or you're going to correct it and do some corrective action within a certain yep. amount of time. But just ignoring it, that, that doesn't fly. <laughs> exactly, Ben. And I'm, and I'm sure they're not looking for perfection. I think they're looking for intent, right? versus negligence, yeah. saying you have a control and you do nothing to move that forward, or you're putting a good college try in there and you're really, you're really working to make it a successful program and, and you're, you know, you're building the maturity within that control or, or you're working toward getting it implemented. Uh, you know, I'm sure it's, it's the intent that they look at. Yeah, that's where the documentation comes back into play, right? If you are at a certain point and you know you need to continue to mature that control and get it implemented, it's providing the documentation where you are, what you're planning to, what's the plan look like, how you're tracking against that plan. You got to document all that stuff because if you're showing not, you're making progress, right? And showing right. that you're making progress over time. Exactly right. That's the important part here, folks. Like you don't have to be perfect, but you've got to be able to document and show where you are at any point in time so that things like this don't come back and bite you in the butt. All right, article number three, top CISO communities for 2024. Uh, I, I, it was an interesting one as, as, as uh, CISOs figure out where they're going to go <laughs> hang out <Yeah>. next year. <laughs> figure out where to find their next job. I thought these might be interesting uh, forums for them. So I know the Cybersecurity Collaboration Forum, Cyber Risk Alliance owned, uh, worked very closely with Parham when I was there. Um, so I, I know that group very, very well. Uh, it's a great um, kind of CISO only membership. So if you're looking just for a place to hang out with CISOs and nobody else, that's a really good forum uh, for CISOs. Uh, the Global CISO Forum, um, this one's a little more open, I think. I don't think it's as is is as strict as the cybersecurity collaboration forum, but again, another really good source here. Um, I know Avanta pretty well. It's owned by Gartner now. 
Um, right. So Avanta has always been one of those interesting places. Now there is some crossover with some vendors in that community a bit. It's very controlled though. Um, so again, it does provide a really safe haven, I think, for CISOs uh, to talk uh, yeah, about hot I've, topics. I've worked with Avanta in the past, yeah. And again, it yeah. does have that that, that manufacturer slash vendor crossover, but um, still, I mean, I, I look at it as you know, find your community that you're going to learn from, find your community that you can that you can bounce ideas off of, and and, and really hone in. Having a community, I think, is key. And the last one, CISO platform. Those were the top four in this article. Um, so I know two of the I know two of them really really well. The the other two I don't know as well. Ben, I don't know if you know or if you're members of any of those other forums oh, yeah Vanta. i've done stuff with the vanta before and um yeah, yeah the the global uh the cybersecurity collaboration forum i know them but I, I haven't participated in their events cool all right now we go into a number of leadership and and some communications articles to round out this segment uh this first article is around virtual leadership and i brought this one in because i i it was an interesting topic for me, right? As leaders, we're pretty much all remote now. I mean, I am. I, I, I think I get to office maybe once a month. So a lot of the things that I do is is virtually. And so this article talks about, you know, some of those key areas to really focus on in this virtual leadership environment. Um, and, and some really interesting um, tips in here. I'm not worried about the first one, which is technology, but it's creating clear communication norms like yeah kind of a, setting those one-on-ones in that regular cadence and 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 how you're gonna sit down with your team on a on a regular basis like something that's important from it just like setting kind of a precedence like all right every wednesday at this time it's it's our time to to get together yeah yeah it, it, it's very important to have that structure and that cadence right to make sure that you're you have that that quality time either from you know with individual staff for a one-on-one -on -one or group settings with an entire team but to balance that out i i also think having some impromptu um in in your in your professional life is extremely important as well because i'll tell you some of the you know some of the best times that i've had in in remote workforce is all of a sudden you get a ping Hey, I just had a meeting cancel. I'm inviting four, five, six, ten of you to jump on, jump on a, you know, a, a Teams meeting or a Zoom. And hey, let's BS for a little while. Let's talk about what's going on in each other's lives. Let's talk about, you know, what's happening within your department and bounce ideas off of each other. So I, I think it's a balance because think about it. When we were all in person, we would have those hallway conversations. I call them the drive-by. You'd be walking by someone's office and say, "Oh crap, I need to talk to that person." And you just pop your head in, right? So that spontaneity, I think, still needs to exist. And that's, that's part of leveraging the technology wisely. Still keep on with that spontaneity because it really helps with the trust factor and the relationship factor. Yeah. Yeah, I do more huddles now than ever, which, you know, because that's Slack's native communication, right? And so mm -hmm. you're out texting, you got a question. Next thing you know, you're on a huddle. You're doing the impromptu, yep. just figuring it out. Yep. And even, yeah, you know, I even having some, some lunchtime or after hours, you know, I mean, there, there have been Fridays at six o'clock where I'm like, all right, who's ready to crack a, crack a bottle of whiskey and have a glass with me. You know what I mean? It's, you know, sometimes you just got to have those impromptus when you're, when you're remote. 
Yeah, it's important to figure out how, you know, inside of those norms, you get outside of the normal norm. And I guess what I mean by that is really early in my career, I had this manager and um, he did one-on-ones in kind of a, a unique way. Like instead of doing it like in an office sitting down, you'd go for a walk or you'd get out and mm-hmm. do something. It was more of a, you know, the kind of getting out of the, just the, the normal vibe of the office kind of flow. And it became a more engaged way to have that one-on-one. So I used to do that. I'd, you know, when I worked at Visa, I'd do my one-on-ones and we'd walk around the campus, right? Um, I think it's important to try to figure out how to do that in a remote work environment and make sure that like when you're when you're having these things, it's really easy in this Teams environment. You can just fire up and talk to somebody, get in a chat really quick. Like you just dive right into what the problem is. I think it's important to get out of that and say, how do you engage personal personally and build that level of individual trust and communication where, you know, you're talking about stuff on a more individual basis. And then that naturally flows into, you know, the, the business conversation about how to get that problem addressed. So you're not just engaging on a problem because then every time you pick up the phone or you try to dial somebody in, it's perceived as, Hey, I got a problem coming my way. Yep. So yep. You know, that that's really, really important. Yeah. And the last thing you want as a leader is to have your relationship with your staff, with your colleagues, seem transactional all the time. And having that uber structure of, you know, scheduled check-ins, scheduled conversation, scheduled meetings all the time, you begin, you begin having a, a transactional relationship with everyone. And we have to balance that out. We have to. You know, the, the, having, having the ability to have remote meetings in, in whether it's Slack or Zoom or Teams, it's been a godsend for remote workforce, but it also creates an environment where it can be really, really easy to have transactional relationships, and that's the last thing you want. Yes. Agreed. Uh, this next article is actually a podcast from HBR, and I listened to the whole thing, and, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to... St- I'm going to start off where it ends. Okay, I'm going to get my breath under control. <laughs> I'm going to think about who I'm going to see next. It's going to be Jason and Ben. And how can I help Jason and Ben today? Anyways, that was kind of part part of the, the whole thing. Uh, anyways, so, it, but I, I love this the, because we talk about the selfless leader, right? Servant leadership, mm-hmm. selfless. Yeah. And they talk about this balance between selflessness and self-confidence and that there's a balance between those two. Because if you're too self-confident, you become egotistical. If, if you're too much on the selfless side, then, then you're more of a pushover. And it gets into these nuances. And it's, it's just an interesting way to think about as a leader, as you prepare for a meeting, understand who's coming to the meeting. Who's going to be there? How can you help them? It's that selflessness that that creates this really great leadership style. It, it is worth the 20 – it's roughly 20 minutes long to, for yeah. people to listen to. I, I loved it. Yeah. No, it, it, it's great. And, and, you know, I almost take that selflessness and you can transition it to, you know, service-oriented. If, if mm-hmm. you take that mindset of saying, you know, I am here to serve my employees. I'm here to serve my clients. I'm here to serve our vendors and partners, and I'm in this leadership position because, you know, I, I bring a quality to the table where I can help people be their best person, be their best professional, right? Be the best at what they can do. And, and if you take that service-oriented mindset, uh, you'll be an absolutely incredible leader, well-trusted, 
uh, have great relationships across the board, and and you know just leverage that that selfless, service oriented, empathy driven relationship, and and you can make some wonderful things happen. Yeah, I, I would talk- tweak it just a bit and say like, how can you be invested in your people, right? And invested mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. your company, and invested in yep. your teams, and like and just invested in people in general, right? Like I think that investment, like. Yep. The the service thing is important, but I think you have to like just turning it on its edge a little bit and thinking like it's not about like doing something for them. It's making making people feel like you're invested in the relationship and the time. And that then will pay off dividends because people will say, look, if that person's invested in me, I'm willing to be invested in them and go out of my way to either do something more or help them, um, you know, help them with their career. So it's it's that positive engagement of investment, I think, that, that pays the best returns. Yeah. yeah, they yeah, talk about being people centric, being a people centric organization. And what they meant by that, they gave the example from Marriott is if we trust in our people, take care of them, then at the end of the day, the business takes care of itself, which is a really interesting concept. It's being people centric. All right. Uh, let's see. I got one more leadership. Oh, this one's strategies for effective listening. So, Communication skills, we always, <laughs> we've heard this one. I think we cover this one like every other week around effective yeah. listening skills and, and, and how important it is as a leader to, to listen. Uh, active listening, it's effective listening. There's a lot of, there's a few different ways to describe this one, but it, it does boil down to being an effective uh, listener. Yep. yep. Sometimes it's uh, better off just stop talking, focus, pay attention, and listen. Boil it down simply. Yes. Uh, this last article, uh, Science of the People, it talks about how to create a very positive workplace culture. Um, this comes from a survey. I think it was 5,000 people they surveyed about the, you know, how important was culture, the workplace culture. In, in over half said the culture was more important than the money, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it matters folks. And, and so this article gets into some of the top qualities of building out these great workplace cultures. Um, so I'll just rattle them off quickly, Jason, being friendly, challenging, engaging, rewarding, collaborative, and fun. A little bit of everything, right? Yeah. And, and, and I, love, I love the fact that they put challenging in there, right? Because you could have a great culture, but if you're not being challenged in your everyday work life, you're going to go on and look for that next best thing, right? So I, I love the fact that they put challenging in here because that's also something that's extremely important to the workforce is, is to, to be challenged uh, in, in your work and to, you know, to feel that you're, you're making a difference. And, you know, if everything were easy, you know, I, I don't know, man, I, would, I wouldn't want to be in a situation where every day was just a cakewalk. I want to be challenged. So, you know, having that great culture, a friendly culture, engaging culture is awesome. But if you're not in a role that's challenging, eventually you're going to want to move on to the next. Yeah, so true. I mean, I do, you know, my motto is work hard, play hard. And part of that Mm -hmm. is you want to be challenged. You want to get through that work, but then you want to be able to enjoy it and have fun and, and, and reap the benefits of that hard work. Right. And, and that's kind of what these six characteristics kind of bring together. It's that work hard, play hard kind of, um, kind of, kind of motive, right? That, Yes, I did that today. Now I can go enjoy myself because it was fun. Right. 
yeah, there's nothing better yeah, than a hard day at work and celebrating afterwards. Absolutely. Spend a lot of time at work. If you're not enjoying yourself, why be there? I think that's what people come to the realization, right? I mean, money only gets you so far. Uh, so yeah, it's got to be it's got to be an engaging environment that you want to participate in. Yeah, and, and I even think about like what's next, right? As you think about where we all are in our careers, right? Everybody's like, well, when are you going to retire? I'm like, I don't know that I actually want to retire. I enjoy what I do. Like, I love this. I love the podcast. I love advising companies. Like, I just want a little different balance when I retire, right? And it's, it goes back to kind of that, these characteristics. Like, can I still do something even though maybe my mornings are dedicated to golf and when it gets too hot, my afternoons are, are some work? It's, to me, it's just a different balancing act than it is just retirement outright. Yeah. I mean, I mean the yeah. whole goal is to be happy with life, right? And, uh, you know, if, if, if work, if the work component is part of that, yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you want to be, you want to be out there putting a good hard day's work in and, and celebrating when you can celebrate. You're, you're right. You know, it's, it's, it's the balance, uh, once you get to that point of a, a little bit more play and, and then work, right? Absolutely. Ben, more play, more work. <laughs> no, it's balance. It's got to be a good balance. I mean, look, I, you know, you hear about a ton of people that retire and they either die right away or they retire. And then, yeah. you know, two or three years later, they're looking for how to go back to work and do something because they're bored out of their mind. I mean, it's, it's not a matter of people, people confuse work with, with, you know, trying to make a living and that's not the same thing, right? Like I think people who are in an, in an environment where they feel rewarded, engaged, uh, mentally challenged, and they have, you know, peers that they enjoy spending some time with, it's, it's not really a work. It's right. It's, it's right. something you do that you haven't get compensated for. And that's where, what we all should be aiming for. And so I think, yeah, as we get, you get in this career, you get to a point where you're looking like you want to train, you want a little bit of a transformation, but it's, it's gotta be with a balance. It can't just be, yeah, I'm going to sit around and do nothing all day. And so, and the, these are really important. These the six points. And if you get them in balance, it's, it's the right mix. Yeah. It's kind of like the Nirvana state, like the true Zen state of balance in the universe. Yeah. Gentlemen, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you everyone for watching and listening. We'll see you next week on Business Security Weekly.